Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape or form. I'm your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they, them or she, her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button and enjoy the listen. Hi everybody, welcome back to Coffee and Geography, back after a short break. Uh, last week, Espresso and Geography with Alistair Hamill talking about uh, the current forecast for El Nino. hope you found that interesting. Back to our regular programming and fantastic person I have with me to get back to a full-sized coffee, Jen Monk. Hi Jen. Hi. So what we're doing uh, this evening, it's now 10 to 9 at night. We've just been waffling for almost half an hour. Oh, it's lovely to be here chatting. I've got a juice though. Sorry, I'm letting this. Oh no! I I feel like ten to nine is a bit late for a coffee, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, this is very, very true. In fairness, we are starting a bit late. I don't have anything with me, but I I am continuing with my um, my hot water and a little bit of um, kind of fruit and stuff inside it. Thanks to Hermione Mao's suggestion with her Chinese brews and stuff. So I'm keeping going with that. So introducing Jen. Jen is a head of geography at Inner City Manchester School and mum of two gorgeous little boys. She enjoys her walks with her dog Poppy and taking the boys out to see lots of geography. Yep. So just like me, Jen's another geography mum. Jen is also an ITT mentor, which is initial teacher training mentor, which she absolutely adores. And she's also an examiner for uh, GCSE, which uh, for the non-British folk uh, listening to this podcast is basically the equivalent of our high school diplomas. Uh, Now, Jen says here, these are her words, not mine. uh, I'm also a bit blonde, can't sit still and 100% solar powered. (laughs) They're your words, not mine, Jen. (laughs) Yeah, it's just a shame we don't get a lot of sun in Manchester because that may explain why I'm very unproductive in the winter. Um, a little bit blonde, quite a lot blonde. I'm very forgetful, but have quite a lot of energy at the same time. So I'm always, I've got like 7,000 tabs open in my brain. <laughs> get a bit, I always confuse myself. Sometimes I do the same things twice. I made a homework sheet for year seven to see, like the same, exactly the same sheet twice without realizing the other day. Just oh, no. forgotten that I'd already done it. Yeah. But it was weird that it was exactly the same. Like, and my brain hadn't realised that it was the same. So anyway, a little bit blonde. That's what I'm going with. I'm going to let folks into a bit of a secret here because I can certainly identify with with Jen, you know, being, you know, I'm a scatterbrain myself. And uh, but um, I don't know if uh, my listeners actually know this fact about me, but I'm actually not a natural redhead. I'm actually blonde haired as well. So uh, I don't know if anyone's now throwing their equivalent of their juice at the radio and off. It's like, Kit, it's like, we we thought you were one of us, one of the redheads. No, I dye my hair red. Bonds have more fun, Kit. Bonds have more fun. Yeah, you know, it's in my roots. It's never going away. It's in my roots. I like it. I like it. What do you you normally have, though, when you do have a bit of caffeine? Do you, uh, are you a coffee drinker or a tea drinker? I am definitely a coffee drinker. A vanilla latte is my choice. Ooh. Um, yeah, I don't like, I feel like I would, I like a bit of sweet too, so I feel like a vanilla latte just is a bit sweet, but the caramel one's almost too sickly, so I like a vanilla latte. But I've got a bit better since I've got my coffee machine and I've got rid of my syrup a little bit, so I'm trying <laughs> to be a bit healthier and I now just drink a very milky coffee. Yeah, I've I've recently got into uh, chai lattes. 
never tried one. No, no, I, d- I don't know what it is about the bound, but and then and then sometimes because when I was working, uh, I was working at this, uh, and, and you love this, folks. It's um, basically an, an an eco building, so it was the f- it was the most sustainable building in the whole of Europe for a time. And it's called the Enterprise Centre at the University of East Anglia. And I'm going to have to do a special coffee and geography like at the Enterprise Centre and walk around it and talk about it because it's so amazing. But the little cafe there, which is where I used to get all my stuff, it was like, I went there and they were like, you should try a chai latte kit. It's like, cause you know, it's, it's sweet like you. And I was like, oh, I was like, oh, that's nice. And Jet, you know, and also <laughs> the person behind, behind the, uh, behind the cafetiere was, was called Jen as well. And, um, Aww. I was like, and you should have, you should have a spiced one. Cause you're also a bit spicy. I was like, where's this going, Jen? I'm just here for a drink in <laughs> me coffee break. So, um, yeah. So that's how it came about. Cause otherwise I'm, I'm a, I'm a, like an addictive tea drinker. So. <laughs> What does it taste like? I don't. I, what does it actually? I taste can't like? describe I don't... it. I really can't describe it. But yeah, it, it is. It's it's more of a smooth kind of taste. It's definitely. It's not so like that really rich bean caffeine coffee taste. It's kind of more yeah. tea like than coffee. It's quite oh. smooth and creamy and a little bit. And then if you have spice in it, it's a little bit spice. It's actually quite nice. But okay, you're gonna have to try one for me. All right, next time yeah, I see you, you, we'll give it a go. I'm not a tea drinker. I, the smell mm. of tea makes me heave. Like I, I even <laughs> hate making my husband tea. Like oh, I, no. I can't. I have to literally stand and stir it with my arm straight because I can't. The smell. <laughs> I think it's been worse since I was pregnant originally, like the first time. And I just feel like I, the smell of tea just properly makes me heave. So I feel like the thought it just sounds like tea, a chai latte, and I just never ventured there. Mm. I don't. Yeah, no. I just okay. I'll, I'll try one for your kit. When when, yeah yeah <laughs> see folks this 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 is this is what friends do <laughs> but um well okay so i mean I, I, you probably feel the same way about it as i used to feel about iced tea i used to be like what like when i first like started going out uh with anya who's now my wife um and she was talking about like oh yeah iced tea is all the thing in america i'm like that just sounds sick i'm not even gonna go there and then i started ended up drinking it and kombucha and stuff like that so you never know you never know you might be a convert (laughs) right (laughs) so you're as you've mentioned already you're up there in manchester um so up north and we had a bit of a joke about that a few episodes ago with um with uh, Jessica Law, who um, who lives in uh, the midlands and of course we had a bit of a joke about how the midlands doesn't exist there's only the north you know Manchester and and the and the stuff and down here in the south. So, <laughs> but uh, is is it been your stomping grounds, Manchester? Is it? Are you? Uh, is that you born and bred Mancunian, or are you from a different part of the country? No, I am born and bred Mancunian. Although uh, my dad will tell me off for saying that because I was actually <laughs> born in Cheshire, and oh. um, yes. So my dad, we always, we've got a bit of an ongoing joke in our family because I was born south of the River Mersey, which makes it Cheshire, but I now live north of the river. And we've got this ongoing joke in our family where my husband is from where I live now. So he was born north of the river and he is a proper mank. And um, <laughs> and whenever we, whenever mum and dad come to our house, we've got this joke where they have to drink out of a can they can't have a glass because north of the river you don't have a glass you just drink out the can it's only <laughs> south of the river where people decant the can into a glass and it's actually become like an ongoing joke now to the point where 
yeah, you're just not allowed a glass. Uh, we do have glasses and everybody else <laughs> can drink out of a glass. But my mum and dad, when they come, they have to drink out of a can. Like, it's just become a ridiculous thing. Um, but yeah, I went to university in Leeds um, and did my teacher training in Liverpool. Um, so still fairly northern. But yeah, I am a, a Manchester a Manchester girl. And um, yeah, the sea calls though. The sea, at some point, I would live love to live by the sea. Um, oh. My sister lives down on the south coast and it's one of my favourite places to go. Um, she She's in Portsmouth now. I've not been to Portsmouth before but she was Devon way before and like Dorset I just love the weather's better isn't it it's more sun (laughs) the beaches are nicer so maybe eventually me and my husband always talk about moving down to Norfolk when we're old um because we love Norfolk it's like one of our favorite places um to go on holiday so we will see but for now we are up in up in the north yeah, and remember, you you need to you need to promise me that the next time you are over here in the uh, East Anglia in Norfolk, you have to let us know because then we'll uh, we'll have to uh, go out and do something. We'll have to go out the North Norfolk coast or something and hang and hang out for a bit. That sounds brilliant. We will definitely <laughs> but, uh, let you know. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I'm really, really I want to go back to about what you said about about this interesting because because as geographers we we talk about you know the north south divide the north you know there's north south divides everywhere we know we know it's very arbitrary we know it's based on quite a lot of you know fallible statistics and stuff like that you know you've got the north of italy and the mezzogiorno in the south you've got the north south divide in the uk you've got east west split in the united states all that kind of stuff and and northwest all that kind of stuff but it does really just seem to be this thing doesn't it where you say oh yeah down south this seems to happen and of course you could talk about you know the overheating effect development and all the infrastructure and all the investment that kind of stuff in the north but for you to go real local and say oh yeah north of the river mersey it's like this and south of the river mersey it's like this what is it with southerners doesn't matter where you put the line southerners always seem to be a bit oh watch 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 like apparently we always say mahogany 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 down here apparently (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know i don't know what it is but it is actually a thing. I think so. I mean, I literally was born about four miles away from where I live now. Definitely not very far away at all. Um, and in fact, the hospital I was born in, weirdly, um, is actually about five minutes away from where I live now. Um, if you wouldn't mind, actually, Jen, like what the you know, whatever you do want to say on on record would be absolutely fantastic. About you, we had this really lovely chat about about how you were feeling you were enjoying where you're working in the school that you're working at the moment because you just you the, the kids are teaching you so much about the school them and even about yourself um I think it would be wonderful actually to kind of share that uh about what you what you said to me just before we start pressing recording yeah so um I recently moved schools I teach um a bit more I suppose in a Manchester than than I did previously and the school I work at now is much more diverse I suppose schools I've been in before and I think it's really taught me a lot about how privileged my life has been but also how lucky I suppose I am to have kind of always seen myself in the curriculum that we teach and Mm. how it's really important to ensure that my students feel the same I think we've 
I mean, I've been on a, I think like all doctor teachers actually, have been on a bit of a journey with kind of trying to decolonise our curriculum for a few years now. Um, and I don't, I don't think I ever, importance is the wrong word. I, I feel like it has always felt important to do that, but I've never really thought about how the people receiving our curriculum, the, the children that we teach, how they might feel. And I think working where I do now has really made me want to make sure that the people I teach, the children that I teach, feel represented in our curriculum and see people like them. We've done quite a lot of work on windows and mirrors in our school and the idea that a mirror is you seeing yourself in the curriculum or people like you and obviously the idea of windows that you can look out of and see other people Mm. and I think I was probably as a a white British person always quite lucky that in the curriculum I did see a lot of people like me and I want to ensure and I suppose that's where your role models come from as well isn't it and they're the people and the jobs that you see are the people that are shown in the curriculum and I think I felt really strongly and I've just learned so much. I've learned a lot about different religions since starting in my in the school that I'm in now. Um learned a huge amount about um about them about Islam recently, particularly with Ramadan and Eid, loads of things that I had absolutely no clue about. I don't remember doing a lot of RE at school and if I did I definitely didn't learn about a lot of the things. And Same. it's just it's really made me feel I don't know. I, I I just understand a lot more things that I'd kind of seen before, but not really understood or not really understood why. Um, like I didn't understand why people um, like did the fast and, and all of those things. And I think, I think the one thing that I've learned most recently is how lovely it must feel to be such a strong part of that community. Like all of our students that have been um, fasting and have celebrated Eid and, and um, obviously throughout Ramadan, I just feel like they're a big community and I don't think I've ever had that. I don't feel particularly strongly to my religion or mm. even to a group of, of people in the community or area that I live in. I've never really felt that strong connection, whereas all my students talk about that connection and how they are connected to other people and the people in their area and a lot of the whole um there's a lot of like helping others and and things involved within um i suppose the muslim faith that i just wasn't aware of mm. and I it's i think what's really what i really love about this how listening to the way that you were talking and how you were talking is is how schools and and teachers as part as, as an extension of schools you know are such an important part of the community and can really do you know help community cohesion take place so i'm thinking you know when we've when we've got this whole you know overwhelmingly teachers in this country feel that they're being underappreciated and mistreated you know along with nhs workers along with firefighters along with you know um postal workers etc and and the thing that that teachers seem to struggle to get to people who just don't get it. Like, Oh, you're just get, you all get these holidays or this kind of nonsense and all this stuff is that when teachers say we're going to take strike, we don't want to go on strike. We're doing this because we do care for the kids. I think 
just listening to you, if, if somebody just stopped and just listened to you for the last five minutes and said, well, how can you not feel Mrs. Monk doesn't care for her kids and her community by what, you know, by after listening to the way you've just been speaking, you know, because you get so much out like we as teachers get, and, and this is the one thing I keep saying it on this podcast all the time. What I miss about being a, a chalk faced teacher, you know, not being in the classroom um, five days a week anymore is I do miss that being that embedded in the community and feeling like I'm there to champion the kids. Um, but you've really come across really strongly about that and how you love learning from the kids and your life is so much more enriched by doing the job that you do with, with the young people that you do it with. <laughs> yeah, I think as well, like my little boy is, is four and they've been learning about like Ramadan and Eid at four. Like I definitely didn't learn about that. Yeah. And it's it's wonderful that those things are happening um but yeah I've just learned so much in the past I don't know I started in September so the past seven six or seven months and it, I think it all helps shape you as well because the more the more you learn the more you share and the more understanding that you have of different people in different situations and I just think that's really mm. important especially as a teacher but just important as a person I think it's it's easy to sit and say, oh, I have a privileged life and I don't need to know that because I don't need it. It doesn't affect me. But actually, yeah. what's far better is to say, oh, I'm interested in that because that it might not affect me, but I want to know more about, about that. And I just think that's a really important. And I suppose it links to geographers as well. Like we're inquisitive, aren't we? We want to know more about the world we live in. And I think that when I was filling in the questionnaire about what, like what makes me a geographer I'm just so interested in everything and listening yeah. to my students talk about all of these things the conversations we've had since then because I now understand more about them and I understand more about what they do outside of school I just think I've cemented that relationship and I think changed my classroom as well like my relationship with my year 11 students particularly is so different now than it was in September because I've got to know them and obviously religion's yeah. part of it but also like the things they like to do and the things they like to um, do at the weekends or spend time with the people that they spend time with. I think they all help. So the more the more things we know about the students we teach, I think the better and the more we can learn from them as well. I've not been to some of the places I teach about, but some of my students have or they've got family there. Yeah, I just yeah. think that's so important to let them let them take over. Like I've, I've let some of my students talk, some, go and stand up in front of me and I've sat down and listened to them. Because some of the stories they tell us are things I've never heard of or could even imagine or have done. And let them let us let us all learn from them because they, they are the future. They are the people that are going to be standing in our places in 10, 15 years' time. And I just think it's really important that we give them that voice. Yeah. Yeah. And this is and like if there's any cynic listening, probably probably not, if you know, given the title of the podcast and the kind of people listening to it, but there's anybody who's a cynic listening to this. It's like, oh, this is just, oh, is this, yeah, this is the problem with the modern education system, you know, oh, it's anarchy. You're letting the kids run. It's like, you're still not getting it, okay? It's like, they're still coming, they're coming into a structured place. So for some of these kids, this may be the most structured, depending on circumstance, could be even the safest place for them to be themselves, you know, and it's, it's, it's not about drilling certain things into a kid's head 
you know, and churning out robots. That's the one thing that teachers, that the vast majority, almost all teachers and ex-colleagues I know are not in the job to do that. We're not to churn out robots and, you know, and kids out and get through their exams, even though that's what the system forces us to do sometimes. It is to make them the best human beings they possibly can and contribute to their communities in the best way they possibly can and if you and as jen says you do that by listening to them and helping them to tell their stories and then sharing those stories with everybody else and then putting them into context seeing where the intersectionality is and you know and sharing the common ground and learning from the differences that is our jobs as teachers and i tell you what for well, I love geography. I'm, I will talk about it until I'm in my grave, right? Um, but that I, I always, you're right, Jen. Sitting there and listening to the kids and getting them to listen to their stories and then going, oh, I can make some geography out of this is so empowering for both you as the teacher and that child who shared that story with you. And then you're going on a journey together and there's nothing better, I don't think, as an educator. No, I think as well, the whole idea, isn't it, of like schema is how everything links into things you already know. So I think you're not just listening to those students when they're telling the stories, everybody else is listening. And everybody else can then put that somewhere into their mind that links onto other things. So all of that learning that doesn't always feel like learning makes everything make sense. I just think it's it's been a wonderful moment. I've, I've really, really enjoyed giving the students that opportunity to speak and to share their stories especially like I say because some of them are sharing things that I can't imagine that I haven't done that I've never experienced and yeah it's it's just been it's just been really interesting and I've I feel like I've learned so much Mm. so you you say here that you love being outdoors and you try to you know, take the kids to see as real geography as as you possibly can so uh for so i am i have a blind spot like i mostly taught in rural schools or semi-rural schools and it was very easy to go out and do field work and things like that so and of course i am aware of the kind of the the challenges that if you have it in an inner city school but so what would you therefore do uh you're in an inner city manchester what would be the thing that you do with your kids and your say your GCSE students, your year 10, 11 students to get them to experience that real geography firsthand? Would you try and take them into a location which is completely out of their comfort zone or would you try and discover more about about their location and, and the inner city of Manchester? What what would be your way of getting them to experience as you put here that real geography firsthand? We do a bit of both really. I think we do try and take them out means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. They absolutely loved it. We've never seen waterfalls before and I think that's so important because everything then joins up, doesn't it? Um, But yeah, we do try and get students out quite a lot. I mean, coaches are incredibly expensive um, and obviously cost is a bit of a barrier at the minute, but we do, Mm. where possible, try and get our students out seeing real geography as much as possible we've got some kind of on-site field work as well and um, microclimate investigation 
um, that type of thing straight away in year seven. So they, they really enjoyed mm. that actually kind of getting outside of the classroom. In fact, we were teaching weather the other day. I just took them outside and we stood in the rain for a little bit and we looked at where <laughs> do you think it would be sheltered from the rain and where do we think it would be most rainy or windy? Where would we get? Where would it be most sunny? Why would it be sunnier there? And we actually walked around the school and just guessed these things. And I think my whole lesson changed then because the students just could understand being out there rather than me just showing pictures of them of the same things. They actually yeah. walked around the school. And I just think it did make sense. But we also do go into our local area. And I think that's been also really interesting because, I mean, we went very fairly local for our for our um, year 10 field work. And the students w- walk past this area all the time. And yeah, when, when you put it into a geography perspective, they see it through a whole different lens, don't they? Like, yeah. oh, yeah, I've never noticed that before. And then some of them are like, miss, I walk past this every single day. How have I never seen that before? And it's just because they don't, I suppose they're not geog- fully geographers yet, are they? They don't think how I, like, I walk past any environment and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's interesting. And I feel like, I suppose they lose that curiosity, don't they? Like, my little boy, he does that. He walks through and he asks so many questions about why is that lamppost there? Why is the bin here? Why is the bin not there? And those are the questions, aren't they? Like, why is there a bin next to a bench? Like, well, and you ask you ask Harry and he'll say, oh, because people will sit on the bench and eat their dinner and then they'll put their rubbish in the bin. Brilliant, yeah. Like, why does a three-year-old or four-year-old get that? And then we seem to lose it some way between because then we have the same conversations with 15-year-olds. But I think there is a, a real benefit to taking students outside of the classroom and dare I say getting a little bit muddy. Um, yes. I'm not a mud, I'm not a fan of mud. We'll come back to that one, I'm sure. Yeah, we will um, come back to that one later again. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, I think there's a good I think our subject is a really good one to say we shouldn't be sat in the same four walls teaching it every single day. And I think mm. we've almost got a good excuse to get students out more than anybody else I suppose maybe a little on par with science I suppose but ultimately I think we should be taking students to experience all these things and I'm quite determined despite the barriers with cost and, and that type of thing that to give our students those experiences that otherwise they might not have mm. yeah um uh, one of the most effective things I did was um was so we were doing weathering and erosion uh with the year 10 so 14 15 year olds and you're right you could you could just show them pictures on the and i was like no i've got an idea i said right get up get you it was pretty cold so i said get up get your coats on uh and then we just went out to the front of the school you know the driveway where the cars all come in it's like that that's okay i was like right you've got 60 seconds to go and stand next to some evidence of weathering and that's it. And I just and I just set them off. And then I said, "You got to stay within where you can see me, and I can see you." And then they were like, "So they were all looking around on the on the on the pavement, on the concrete, on the on, on the driveway, and and then they were looking at um, where the grass verge met the met the walkway and stuff like that." And they probably got much more out of that sixty seconds, and then us going around. And then what I did, then I used to say, "Right, I'm gonna." All then want you. We'll come together, and then you're gonna. T- we're gonna take a tour of of the, the driveway of the school, and then so we looked at, like, we looked at the potholes, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it was it was drizzling a little bit, so there was water collects in the potholes. So then that was the opportunity to explain on why that pothole keeps getting bigger all the time, and why we keep need to repairing it. And then we were looking at the um the you know where the kids cut across 
they shouldn't do this the grass island and like of course where there is there's a bit of a as a track forming because of the trampling that's taking place so a bit of biological weathering through it under the kids feet and then we've got the the grass trying to grow through the concrete and it's like and i was like and then in just getting them out of the classroom just for that when we were out for only about 15 20 minutes then we went back and we wrote it up and they just did some sketches of what they saw they probably got more, they understood and learned about more about weather and erosion that it was like it was happening right underneath their feet um in 15 minutes than they probably would have done in a 60 minute lesson watching a video or or showing pictures on the screen so yeah, and then so I, we you know what happens jen they they will, will walk out of school that that after that day and they're like oh oh no it's in my head now i can't stop seeing it (laughs) (laughs) i love it you've made them into geographers kit put their little geography glasses on that's what i always say put your geography glasses on what can we see what questions can we ask and they were asking questions like why are the flowers taller on this side than they are over there and then we had conversations about shade and then then we got onto like the urban heat island effect and all that kind of came from a year seven lesson where we just went to the playground and yeah i suppose that yeah i don't know yeah. it was it was just brilliant <laughs> yeah and and i take and much to the pe department's chagrin i used to take the year 10s out to um um the sandpit and i was like right okay we'd, we'd, we'd take a little bit more of us so we can i was like right okay we're gonna learn about coastal formations and then we're gonna make them in the sandpit <laughs> And I'd be like, like the period of life was like, you, you need to, need to, need to, you need to um, clear this with us, Kit, in case we need to do the, you know, do some long jumps or something like that. I was like, ah, you know. So, <laughs> right, you said about getting to, we, I am going to leave people hanging on that one, and I want to come back to it afterwards. I want to do something with you first, right? So I haven't done one of these for a while. I haven't done one since, uh, um, since I was talking with Professor Jenny Barkley, the volcanologist, and that is uh, barking up the wrong tree, which is talking about two stories one of them is fake and you've got to try and guess which one is the fake one right and i decided because of what i don't know i just completely random i just decided to do about blonde hair so it's two stories about blonde (laughs) hair right um but you know they've got some geography in them right so there is geography in these so there's two stories jen i'm going to read them both out to you and you've got to decide which one's the fake one right okay or which okay. one's a real one? Whatever one. Okay, so this first one is uh, a study undertaken by the World Health Organization concluded that natural bl- blondes are likely to be extinct within 200 years. Right? So let me read a little bit out of this for you. So it says, um, oh, where is, there it is. So um, blondes, blondes, real and bottled, are disappearing on a worldwide scale at rapid, increasingly rapid, rapid rates, according to a scientific study made in France. Um, nobody knows. Though nobody knows why, the International Committee for Demographic Studies, which made the study, believes that the trend is related to Darwin's survival of the fittest law. Blondes are believed to be more fragile than brunettes who are able to better adjust to climatic and other environmental changes. Even Sweden, the world's blondest country, has had a drop in the proportion of blondes to brunettes nearly 20% by, uh, since 1948. And the committee predicts that by the year 2100, Swedish blondes may be a rarity and that the golden girl will be virtually extinct in the rest of the world. Okay, so because of, well, you know, I guess we learn in schools, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes, they're recessive genes and, okay, but I'm not giving any hints. So that's the first one, all right? Okay, so the second one is um, Pacific Islanders' blonde hair evolved independently from Europeans. So this is about um, a, a, a 
they found that one quarter of Solomon Islanders um, have blonde hair as well as dark pigmentation of their skin, which is um, so, which is interesting. So, but it is not associated with blonde hair. Originally, it was thought to be believed that it might have been, um, and I can't don't know how to pronounce this word, Captain Cook's LAE or something like that, which basically means some of his DNA, like European colon DNA got into the mix. And this produced um, people in the Solomon Isles with blonde hair. But that is actually um, not the case. It seems that the gene is unlikely to originate in Europe. The researchers are unsure of why this genetic mutation thrived in the Melanesian population. So far, there is no evidence that blonde hair would have provided an evolutionary advantage. So the research seems to suggest that the gene mutation is responsible for around 30% of all instances of blonde hair in the Melanesian population, allowing for other explanations such as gene flow, sun exposure, and other undiscovered genes. So is it that blondes are dying out all over the world, or is it the fact that there is a, a group of people in the Solomon Islands where about um, a quarter of them, 30% of them, have blonde hair, even though they are people with dark pigmentations of skin? So, there you are. So, two very geographical ones. Two very geographical. How can you link blonde hair to geography? Easy. <laughs> I'm going to go with the second one being true. I can't believe there's that many blondes that are dying out. I just can't. I just can't believe it. But because I because what I was trying to do to throw you off, I, I was combining bits of elements from both stories, right? But yeah, <laughs> you're right though, Jen. That one is true. So between five and ten percent of Solomon Islanders have naturally blonde hair. Yeah, the population also has the darkest skin pigmentation outside of Africa. So um, and then yeah, the theory is that was this was this due to colonization and you know and gene mixing and stuff like that. But actually, that's not found to be the case. So that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the one about the blondes dying out. Um, was actually picked up by BBC News in September 2022. But despite the BBC picking up, it was completely false. It was a fake news story that the, um, that the, um, that the big media outlets got hold of and thought it was true. <laughs> so if you did think that was the true one. Fake news. <laughs> but I do, I do want to come back to you now uh, and spill the beans. And I'm going to read this out word for word because it's just hilarious right because <laughs> you talk about you hate getting muddy which is which is very interesting for a geographer but you know there are all kinds of geographers out there folks jen says this she says i famously went on my a-level geography field trips that's when you're 17 18 right folks uh and in my very proudly owned white vela tracksuit my mum and dad were in disbelief when I decided that's what I was wearing out. And I think they were even more in disbelief when I came home and it was still pristine. Now you're happy to be outside all weather, but you hate getting muddy. <laughs> First, yeah. we have to dis- you have to describe to people what a white Vela tracksuit looks like for those people who don't know. <laughs> oh, I was very proud of that white Velour tracksuit. I will just go back to, it was in 2004 when Velour tracksuits were back in, like, you know, the Juicy Couture it was not Juicy Couture, just to clarify that. But they were all <laughs> in fashion. And um, I'd, I'd saved up for this. It was Henley's. I remember it was white velour with like a bright pink Henley's logo on the on the hoodie. And um, yeah, I remember being very proud of it. I'd saved up and bought it. And yeah, wore it on, the, on my A-level geography field trip. It was like a geography and biology combined field trip we went and did like soil samples i i vaguely remember trying really hard not to fall over as we walked up <laughs> quite a steep hill and um 
yeah, I think my mum and dad were a bit in disbelief when we talk about it because they'll just go, I'll never forget when you went to geography with that white velour tracksuit and now you are a geography teacher. <laughs> but yeah, so, I don't know, yeah. I don't mind being in the rain or, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm fully solar powered, like I'd rather be in the sun. However, I just do not like getting muddy. I don't, yeah, I just, I'm not okay about mud. Cold, rain. It's really interesting, yeah. If, but because again, it breaks the stereotype of what geographers are. You know, or like we like getting our hands dirty. We like kind of like going out and our willies and stuff like that. Well, there's plenty. There's plenty about geography where you don't need to do that at all whatsoever. You know, you, you can have top notch geographers who are geography geeks who, you know, they spend their spend nine out of t- you know nine out of ten of the time days at on their computers doing GIS, geographical information systems, and they're just as much geographers as those people who like to dig core samples and soil samples. Yeah, I'm never going to be a physical geographer. I'm a human <laughs> geographer all the way. But, um, yeah, no mud. No mud for But me. what did your teacher say when you – because I know what I would say. <laughs> well, okay, right. I'll, I'll, re, I'll, re, I'll rephrase this question. <laughs> if, if a child turned up in that white tracksuit now to your field trip what would you say to them would you say oh no i remember or would you go come on that's not a, a field work attire what would you say now <laughs> oh no i'm i'm a fully i'm fully a teacher i'm like why are you wearing your new shoes on this field trip like <laughs> i did it the other week like I, I, the cargo trousers are back in aren't they like yes they the are cargo yeah. trousers and one of our one of our students turned up to our field trip the other day in white cargo trousers and <laughs> i was like was this a real good idea wearing this for our field trip? And then I, I didn't even realise at the time. And then I'm just like thinking back now what a hypocrite I was because that was me. Yeah, I'm not even. Yeah. I'm not even reflected on how bad I how that is. But yeah, even when they wear new trainers, I'm like, why are you wearing new trainers? I think also children spend a lot more money on trainers these days than I definitely do. Yeah. However irrelevant i'm always like why are you wearing new trainers in fact i think the email that i sent out to parents actually said please wear old trainers because they may get muddy so yeah i'm a, I'm a bit of a hypocrite aren't i because i was that person who went in a white floor tracksuit <laughs> never gonna live it down Aww. now everyone knows my secret kit no one knew this before I know some teachers have been getting their students to listen to this podcast, but you know, I don't know if, if you will do the same. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I don't know, slip it into, slip it into the, you know, your form bulletin somehow. <laughs> <laughs> no, your secret's safe with us. We won't, we won't tell anybody. <laughs> Bless. Oh, okay. Yeah. We've got one last thing to, to, to do uh, before we um, switch off for night. And that's uh, the, tagging everybody together with we are all geographers so um giving every guest a word that they have to link to geography for 30 seconds um so and it's the previous guest that gives you the word so you'll get your turn to do this in a minute but you've got to do the one for the last guest so the last uh episode was with uh hillary habit hunt who is this um wonderful wonderful person from the united states from wisconsin who um yeah, we really geeked out and we were talking about things like Lord of the Rings. We were talking about chronic illness and academia and all sort and conservation. It was brilliant. So you'd think that Hillary would come up with a very, very amazing word for you to link to geography, right? But she just said, Kit, you know what I'm going to do? And she looked around her depart- her apartment and she said, I'm going to give my the next guest a uh, toaster as the word. <laughs> toaster. 
I mean, as a geographer, you know, linking the word toaster to geography, you can approach this any way you so wish, Jen. And all, all the all the only rule is is you got to try and stick it within thirty seconds. So, well, I I'm going to go under the angle of I think t- the toasters are dying out. I think um, people aren't using toasters as much, so I wonder whether we. Uh, I'm trying to link this to geography now. I'm not very good. <laughs> I feel like I think that. Oh, I can't do it, Kit. <laughs> I think that toasters are dying out a bit like blondes, clearly. Um, no, <laughs> I think that people have moved away from, from toast. I think people have gone too posh, haven't they? I, this is why I'm going to go for the angle. Because of globalisation, Kit, people have got <laughs> avocado on toast. It's a trend. I wonder how many people do their toast under a grill now and not a toaster. And therefore, <laughs> toasters are just dying out. <laughs> that's the angle oh, I'm going dear. with that's horrendous I, I'm embarrassed by myself but oh. I, do, I think that might be true I think that might be true I wonder if people do toast in an air fryer <laughs> I wonder if people do toast oh. in an air fryer do you reckon this you is can? the best this is the best we all joggers I've ever had like this is amazing <laughs> <laughs> I literally think I've ruined it I sounded quite respectable until until now until that moment of trying to make a toaster sound geographical no it is all about having a laugh jen and you've definitely provided us with with some smiles there okay so after all that excitement now um what word would you like to give the next guest jen um nothing nothing white good related or kitchen related i i take it no although now i'm tempted to go with sandwich toaster but i'm gonna not I am gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. Um, no, I'm gonna go. I'm just looking around my room for inspiration. <laughs> I am gonna go with tomato ketchup. Okay, tomato ketchup. That's literally what I can see in my living room. Has anybody <laughs> ever done that before? No. <laughs> right there, you go. <laughs> I think that's a quite an easy one, actually. Yeah. Well. Well, I think the last guest thought that toaster might have been, but you know, it was uh, it was so cerebral. <laughs> it was hilarious. We've 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 given everybody a very big shot of dopamine, and that's what counts, right? Okay. <laughs> so, Jen, is there? Um, I know that we've got we've both got lots and lots of mutual friends in the geography teacher community. Um, so, I guess we'll say hi to all of you who are listening. Uh, we do apologise for our uh, absolute blondness you know, for the whole entire <laughs> podcast. Um, but is, is there anyone in particular you'd like to say hi to, Jen? Uh, I'm going to say hi to Emily because she said hi to me and I feel like that's quite cute. Um, but oh, yeah. Also going to say hi to Catherine Jogbum, who I feel like is my little geography Catherine mom. Owen. I feel like yeah. I feel like she is my little geography mum, and she's always been there. She's always very positive, and she makes the geography community a better place to be part of. Oh, really, really does. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. We're listening, you're listening, folks, and uh, yay! And um, where can we find you on uh, Twitter? The only thing I, I I can never remember is how many ends there are in your Twitter handle. Yeah, so. sorry, guys. Um, it's Jen with six ends underscore X. <laughs> Jen with six ends underscore X, right? But if if you just if you just search Jen, and then, then, then eventually it will, the only one that will come up with it. <laughs> yeah, oh well, this has been so much fun. My my 
I my face is hurting in a really good way because I've just been laughing so much and stretching those 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 smiling and laughing muscles. So thank you so much for that uh that Jen on a on a Tuesday night as as what it is at time recording. Um and yeah, and I hope I get to see you not too distant future. Yes. Thanks for having me. It's been a lovely way to spend a Tuesday evening. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you had fun. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favorite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at CoffeeJogPod and send us a DM. Or you could email coffeeandjog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep jogging.